And I'm so glad we sang that song this morning. Those are, those are some powerful lyrics. I mean, there's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down coming after me. Powerful words, the love, the things the love of a father won't do to pursue his child. You know, I, I remember once when um, Macy was just a little one, she was just learning how to walk, but she was fast. And um, of course, as dad, I was responsible for her for a few minutes while Trisha stepped out. I had one job to do, keep your eye on Macy. Well, I looked away for just a minute, I swear, and she was gone. I didn't know where she was. And I'm telling you, I'm not a very big guy, but you wouldn't have wanted to get in my way that day because I tore through the house looking for this kid. And I, I, was, I was going from room to room. I was yelling her name. I was trying to get to her as fast as I could. And then I noticed that the door to the basement was cracked open. And I bolted to the basement door just in time to hear thump, 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 thump. Down she went, the stairs. Only instantly later, you, you know what was coming, that blood-curdling scream. And I took on superhuman strength at that moment and jumped off of the top step, didn't hit a single stair on the way down, got to the bottom, ripped the handrail out of the wall on the way. I couldn't wait to get to her. Nothing was going to get in my way I was going to get to her as fast as I possibly could, and that is the love from an imperfect father. Imagine the love of a perfect father. Powerful. Our God is on a mission to rescue his people. In fact, we could go as far as to say that, that our God is on a divine quest to rescue his people. What's amazing to me about this quest that he's on is exactly who he's looking for. It's not who we think he's looking for because he's on a mission to look for and to rescue the least likely people. That means when we sing, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. That means that God is on a quest for that one who is lost. That means he searches for those people who are down and out. He searches for those people who are empty, for those people who are hurting, for those people who are vulnerable. He pursues the least likely, but he not only pursues the least likely, he also pursues those who are least deserving of it. Again, we, we just sang, I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still you gave yourself away, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. God is on a quest for the least deserving. That, you know what that means? Those are those people who, who just think that they are so strong. Those people that think that they have all the answers. Those people who are so prideful and so stubborn. Those people that think that they can go through life without God because they are totally in control. It's those people even that maybe persecute God. The least deserving. He's pursuing them. God is on a divine quest for the least likely and the least deserving. And I hate to break your bubble, but in other words, that means he's on a quest for you 
and I, and he's on a quest for our souls, which makes sense. It makes sense that he would say these words in, in Matthew, and he said, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? And, and if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the other 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it's not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter what you are currently doing. God is on a quest for the least likely and the least deserving. And so, as we look at chapter 9 of Acts today, we're going to see two very different quests. We're going to see the quest of a, of a man who is on his own quest to bring God down, to take him out. But we're also going to see the quest of God who's on a rescue mission to rescue this man. This is a story about a least likely and a least deserving man named Saul. And as we, as we go through Acts 9, we're going to see that the conversion of the Saul really just shows us a couple of things. It shows us that Jesus can find you, one. We're going to see that Jesus cares for you, two. And we're going to see how Jesus uses you, three. No matter who you are or where you've been, he can find you, he will care for you, and he will use you. So let's start in Acts chapter 9. If you've brought your Bibles and you want to open Acts chapter 9 or... Um, if you need a Bible, we have some in the back on the racks in the back of this room. If you don't have one of your own, I want you to take one of those home with you because I want you to be following along in Acts 9 with us and, and the whole book of Acts. So you're free to take one of those if you need one, please. Um, but let's begin by reading Acts chapter 9. It says this. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the rest of any followers of the way, remember that term, that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on, his mission, on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. Saul picked himself up Damascus. When he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. So we know from previous chapters in Acts that Saul is, let's just say, a bad guy. He's not, he's not good. We saw in the end of chapter 7 that Saul was present at the execution of Stephen. Stephen was one of, of God's faithful followers who, who refused to bow down, and, and, and Saul was present when he was stoned to death. 
And then we go into Acts chapter 8 and we see that these, these believers are, are, are being persecuted. We're being persecuted heavily. They were being put in jail. They were being killed. They were being scattered. All of this because of our man Saul. He is a bad guy. In fact, as, as we looked at Acts chapter 8, it says, But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Saul was on his own personal quest to murder and imprison Christ followers as well as destroy the church. He was going to focus on stomping out any talk that would happen about Jesus being the resurrected Christ. This was his mission, his quest. And here we go into Acts chapter 9, verse 1, and we see that that his quest hasn't changed. It's still the same. He's still breathing. He's still uttering threats and murder against the disciples, those, those people who are following Jesus. Saul is eager to destroy anyone who belonged to the way. Now, the way, this is the perfect name for the church. The way. You see, historically... Before anyone was called a Christian, before there was Christians or what we would call Christ followers, there was a group of people that were called the way. This was the name of of the church. And this is truly in reference to what Jesus says in John chapter 14 when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so these early Christians were called the way. And, and I love that they were called that because at that point in time, the way was focused on one thing and one thing alone. They were focused on seeing people inherit eternal life, that redemption through Jesus, who was the way. And this name of the church, the way, it wasn't focused at that time on on lifestyles. It wasn't even focused on serving. It wasn't focused on musical preferences. It wasn't focused on any of those things at that time. It was solely focused on trusting in Jesus for the salvation of sins. That's it. It was focused on salvation from sins through faith in Jesus Christ. That was the way's mission. But Saul steps in. And Saul is bent on bringing this down. Which makes me go, why? Why was Saul so against the way? What did he have against these Christ followers? What did they do to him to make him so angry that he's willing to do the things that he's doing? Why did that happen? Well, I think He had motivations, and when we look at Scripture and we look at the history of what's going on here, he may even had some personal motivations, because you see, in that day, the synagogues that were there were teaching teaching, um, everything geared toward following the law. That, That was what the synagogues taught, and Saul here, Saul's a master at following the law. He's better than anyone. He knows exactly what he's doing. It's how he's lived his life. It was a if-then based contract that he loved. If you did this and you did it perfectly, and Saul did, then you could earn this. An if-then contract. Saul was a master. But then the way comes. And the way begins to teach a different message. They taught that salvation was by grace through faith, meaning you couldn't 
you couldn't earn your salvation anymore. Even more than that, that you didn't deserve salvation. That, that salvation was a gift to you, a gift by God to you. So what that meant, what Saul was taught his whole life, how he lived his whole life, was being challenged by this the way, then their message of resurrection and salvation through Jesus Christ alone. It went against everything Saul had ever known, and it went against everything he had ever lived for. So there was some ramifications for Saul. Right? This is where maybe he started getting angry. Because if the way continued, then you know what that meant for the synagogues? That meant that uh, they were going to lose patrons. Well, what happens when the synagogues lose patrons? Well, then that means they lose money. What happens when they lose money? Well, they lose uh, power. What happens when they lose power? They lose status. There was a lot at stake if the way continued. Saul could lose everything. Saul could lose who he was, what he lived for. Everything was at stake, and Saul couldn't have it. Everything he had based his entire life on was in jeopardy because of this way. And he searched for people that belonged to the way because he was going to put a stop to it once and for all. And the fact that we read in scripture that now he's on his way to Damascus should run a shiver up your spine because that means that he's done in Jerusalem. You know what it means to be done in Jerusalem? That means that every single person of the way in Jerusalem was either scattered, in hiding, in prison, or dead. Saul's mission, done. He went to do what he did and completed it, and now he's on his way to a different city to do the same thing, Damascus. That's, that's insane to me. And so we see now he's got his sights set on Damascus. And Saul, he goes to the priest there and he asks for permission to search for those who belong to the way in the synagogues. He wants his mission signed off on. He wants approval. And then we see the high priest, he didn't even blink an eye. He said yes and gave Saul everything he wanted, gave Saul everything he needed to accomplish his mission. But little did he know that his quest was about to change. Because God was on his own quest at this time, a quest for Saul's soul. And so on the road to Damascus, Saul was found by Jesus. He was found. They were walking along, and Scripture tells us there was a light, a blinding light that, that came out, and Saul hit the ground, and, and he's in the dirt, and he hears a voice in verse 4 of chapter 9 that says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me. And Saul didn't know who the voice was speaking to him. So he goes on in verse 5 to say, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Now don't get this wrong. Saul didn't say, who are you, Lord, because he's acknowledging God. He said, "How are, who are you, Lord, because that was a, a term of respect. It would be like me talking to one of you and saying, how are you doing today, sir? or ma'am, or madam. It's respectful. In this term, Saul's using, who are you, Lord, is just a term of respect, not acknowledgement. And, and so then, when he hears the most amazing answer to his question in verse 5, and he responds, says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. So Saul 
was found by Jesus. But why? Why? I think, I think there's two reasons that Saul's found by Jesus. And that was so that he could know the truth. The truth of what? Well, there, there's two things that Saul needed to know. It didn't, and the first truth that Saul needed to learn being found by Jesus was simply this, that Jesus was alive. He needed to know this. It's in 1 Corinthians that, that Saul explains his experience on the road. And he's told, he told us that he saw Jesus. See, at this point in Acts, where we currently are, Saul here, he, he, everything he stood for and everything he did was based on the fact that he believed that Jesus was dead. That's, that's how he was operating. Jesus is dead. But since now he's been found by Jesus, he knows the truth. He knows that Jesus is alive. That's the truth that the church is built on. That's the church of this church is built on. That's the truth that my life is built on. Jesus is alive. We know this truth, and now Saul knows it too. The second truth that Saul needs to know is not just that Jesus is alive, but that he's persecuting him. He's persecuting. It's here we see this, this beautiful unity between, between the risen Savior and the redeemed saints here. I love it when a non-Christian is blown away by the connection a believer has with Jesus. They may not understand it, they may not get it, but they recognize it. And it's called unity. We are unified through the Holy Spirit who God sent. So when Paul is persecuting someone who had unity with Jesus... That meant he was persecuting Jesus himself. We get this. In our culture, we get this. Let me give you an example. I am a pretty laid-back guy most of the time. Nothing gets me too worked up. Unless. Unless you mess with my daughters. You mess with my daughters, you mess with me. And we have problems. And you don't want that. And so I'm pretty chill, don't hurt my kid. You hurt my kid, you hurt me. You take care of my kid, you took care of me. That's how it works. The same thing's happening here. We have unity with Jesus. So when Saul is persecuting one of Jesus' followers, he's persecuting Jesus. And, and it's, this is a problem. And so Saul is found by Jesus so that he could know these two truths. One, that Jesus is alive, yes, but that there is also unity between Jesus and those who follow him. And so even though Saul here, he's physically blind, this is the moment for the first time Saul's starting to see the truth for the first time that, that he could never stop the work of Jesus Christ. He could never prevent the church from going forward. He's never going to stop the way. He can't. Saul's quest is in vain, and he realizes that. So Jesus finds Saul to make sure he knows two truths, and there's two truths that we need to learn from that as well. And the same thing, one, that Jesus finds us. He finds us where we are on our journey. Some of us try to hide. I promise you it won't work. Some of us think, oh, we're way too far gone. I promise you, it doesn't matter. Jesus 
will find you. The second thing we need to learn from this is that Jesus chooses who he will find. I think in verse 15, the Lord tells Ananias, we're going to look at that man in just a moment. And he told Ananias that he found Saul to use him for a specific reason. He says this, and that's why Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 1. He writes, even before he, was, he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Saul was found by God, but more than found, he's also cared for by God. He's, he's cared for. By Jesus, not, not being able to see here, we see that Saul's led to Damascus by his friends, which I find ironically funny because that's where Saul was going in the first place. Only now he's going with a different mission in mind, a, a different quest. And in verse 11, we see in chapter 9 that he was to go to a straight street to the home of Judas where he was going to stay for three days. And while he's there, God decides to care for him and cares for him through a man named Ananias. Now, Ananias was given a vision by God. And in this vision, he was told to go to the house of where Saul was to lay his hands on him so that he could regain his sight. And I got to tell you this much, if I'm being honest, if I'm Ananias, I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. You want me to go take care of Saul? Uh, I'm, I'm going to have some serious reservations about going there. And I think that translates because Ananias had some reservations too. In fact, we see him questioning God. It says in verse 13 of chapter 9, it says, But Lord, Ananias exclaimed, I've heard that many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. Ananias isn't clueless. He knows who Saul is. He knows what Saul's done. He knows what a bad guy he is. He knows how dangerous that could be to go to him. And, and, and God's telling me to go and, and care for him. He knows that Saul is about bringing down the way. And who does Ananias belong to? the way. So his fear is understandable. Why would he want to go take care of this man? And so God, once again, in his great grace, those words we just sang, in his great grace comes to Ananias and he calms him. He gives him his plan. He shares with him. This is what I'm going to do, Ananias. And then he says in chapter 9, verse 15, says this, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles, to the kings, as well as to the people of Israel. So Ananias here, he, he leaves his home and he went to Saul in obedience to Jesus, which just is a lesson all in of itself. Sometimes obedience is not going to be easy. And we see that. It was not easy, but he did it. Even though there was trepidation in the heart of Ananias, he was still 
faithful. And when he arrived at the home, he went up to Saul. And it says this in verse 17 through 19. So Ananias went and he found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. So in this moment, Jesus not only found Saul, but he cared for Saul. How did he do that? He cared for his greatest needs. He cared for his physical needs, his sight, yes. But more than that, he cared for his spiritual sight in this moment. Powerful. Just remember, who did Jesus go to before he went to the cross? He went to, uh, he went to a leper. He went to a blind person. He went to a cripple. And he went to those people and he healed them because of their faith. He met their physical needs, yes, but, but so much more than just meeting their physical needs. He met their spiritual needs. He, he healed their souls. This, this physical healing that we see is just a mirror of the spiritual transformation that happens. And the same thing's happening with Saul here. These physical scales that fell from his eyes so he could see only mirrored Saul's spiritual transformation. The eyes of Saul's heart uh, have been opened and he can see for the first time. Jesus did for Saul what he could never do for himself. And that is the essence of the gospel. That Jesus does for you what you could never do for yourself. And, and he cared for Saul's greatest need, which wasn't just his physical sight. It was his spiritual sight, his spiritual transformation. And if you're here in this room and you have trusted Jesus with your life, then you know this better than anyone, that Jesus will find you. And maybe you even remember the moment that you were found by Jesus. But not only that, but then he cared for you. And I am sure if you come to know Jesus and you have been found by him, that you have been cared for by Jesus. The, the spiritual scales fell off your heart and you can see, see for the first time in your life. But he doesn't just end there. He finds us. He cares for us. But there's, there's one more thing. Why does he do those things? He does those things so that we can be used by Jesus. He, he uses us. In fact, again, in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, says this, but the Lord said, go for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles, the kings, as well as the people of Israel. Saul was chosen to be an instrument to carry his name before these people, which means, which means this, that God doesn't just find you and care for you in order to send you off and do whatever you feel like doing. He finds you and he cares for you so that he can Use you. Use all of you. He has a specific plan for your life. He, he, he found and cared for Saul because of, he had a plan for his life. And he did the same thing with Ananias. I wish, I wish we had more of Ananias' story. I would love to know the months and years that led up to this point in Ananias' life. Because I am certain 
I'm sure that God was working in Ananias' life in some amazing ways. I am sure he was preparing him for this moment in time. I am sure that he was taking Ananias through some things to, to get him ready so that when the time came that Jesus said, I need you to go to Saul, Ananias was ready to be faithful you know, all of us are going to be used by God in a different way, but all of us have the same response that's needed. We all need to say yes and be used and be faithful. All God wants from us is our faithfulness. Ananias was faithful. Saul was faithful. Many others in Scripture we read about were faithful. I wonder, will you be faithful? Well, Will you, our God, if we've learned nothing else today, we know our God is on a divine quest for the least likely and the least deserving, which means this, that Jesus is going to find you, he will care for you, and he will use you no matter who you are or no matter where you have been. No one is too far away and no one has done too much to be found, cared for, and used. And so I guess as I wrap this up, I'm, I, I want to ask you, maybe which category are you in this morning? Are you uh, the one sheep that Jesus is looking for? Are you the one that's, that's off? And, and you, you're here today and you, just, you haven't been found yet. But today, you're, you're, you're open and maybe you even feel like, Jesus is working in my heart. He's, he's finding you. Maybe that is where you are today. Or, or maybe for you, you have given your life to following Jesus. You have been found, and today you just need some care. You know, uh, things that you're going through, life that's happening, Maybe he's preparing you. He's getting you ready for something that's coming that you may not even know of yet. How is he caring for you today? This is the encouraging stuff we need to share with each other. How is Jesus caring for you? And then the last question, I guess, is, is uh, in what ways are you going to be used? What, what does he have for you and maybe even a more important question than, than how he wants to use you is, will you be faithful with your life and allow yourself to be used? I hope that you'll think about these questions this week because of the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Though it chases me down, it fights till I'm found, it leaves the 99. I didn't earn it, I don't deserve it, so you give yourself away. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It's powerful. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being such an incredible father. Lord, I thank you that you found me. Lord, I... I was a least likely and a least deserving. So I thank you for what you've done even in my life. You've cared for me, Lord. I pray that we would be faithful, not just as individuals, but even as a church, to continue to be used by you. So we look to you for direction, Lord Jesus, the lead shepherd of this place.
And we love you, Lord. In your name I pray, amen. Hey, I hope you have a great Father's Day, a great week together. We'll see you next week. Took a breath, you breathed your 